This is broadcast producer Desi Doyen. We're off today, so please enjoy this encore broadcast from March 15th, 2023. You know, you get these big companies like Meyer, Ford, Walmart, all these big companies, they want green energy. Where's the green energy gonna come from? Excellent question, sir. Let's discuss it, and let's discuss who's trying to block it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am... From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Groves, KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lanchester, Pennsylvania on W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdon Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. For another thrilling edition of the Bradcast, and I am very excited about our guest joining us momentarily, Desi Doyle. Yes, me too. It has been many years since I believe that we spoke to him on the airwaves. Uh, He has been documenting a, a, a very interesting and at times distressing story that is happening sort of under the radar in a whole bunch of rural communities, including farming communities across the American heartland uh, when it comes to clean, renewable energy and the forces that oppose it. Yes, there are still forces that oppose it. (laughs) Surprise. Yeah, we will explain all shortly. But since farmers and climate are on my mind today, there is this. Hundreds of climate activists and farmers rallied in Washington, D.C. last week to call for significant climate provisions in the farm spending bill that Congress hopes to pass this year, according to Reuters. The rally featuring a performance by musician John Mellencamp was sponsored by Farmers for Climate Action and was titled A Rally for Resilience. Uh, Sounds like it was a good rally, even with John Mellencamp there. (laughs) Agriculture uh, contributes about 9% of total U.S. greenhouse gas emissions, according to the EPA, mostly from fertilizer application and livestock. And you don't have to say anything else about that. (laughs) 
The, okay, uh, I won't. Good. The uh, USDA uh, has made a uh, has made climate a priority under the Biden administration. Reuters reports and has spent more than three billion dollars on grants for projects implementing and quantifying the benefits of climate friendly farming practices. And there are many. As I am told, the uh, effort underway in Washington to write the next farm bill, which is passed every five years and funds commodity, nutrition and farm spending programs, could test the Biden administration's goal of reaching net zero agriculture emissions by 2050. Some Senate Democrats want to expand conservation and climate funding in the farm bill. But Republicans on the House uh, House Agriculture Committee, you will be shocked to hear, have criticized USDA's climate spending and they want to trim the bill's half a billion dollar price tag. Half a billion dollars for America's farmers. You know, the farmers that Republicans pretend to care so deeply about and now they want to trim the half a billion dollar price tag for their bill. Uh, the, the, farm, uh, the farm bill also includes, by the way, funding for things like food stamps. And yet Republicans want to trim the bill's half a billion dollar price tag, claim that they support farmers. And, well, just, you know, try not to compare that half a billion dollar uh, uh, number to the annual budget. And that's for five years. So compare it to the annual budget for, say, the Defense Department and their hundreds of billions of dollars each year. So try not to try not to notice that. OK, at Tuesday's rally last week, the mostly small scale farmers in attendance spoke about the need to prioritize funding the climate friendly farming practices to ensure soil health and water conservation as they increasingly feel the effects of a warming climate. A peanut farmer from Albany, Georgia, for example, told Reuters that he and nearby farmers have actually shifted their planting schedules to make them earlier in the spring as the spring and summer months have gotten warmer. Yeah, while, you know, many farmers may end up voting for Republicans, many of them also Uh, Well, they know as well or better than most how climate change is happening right now and affecting pretty much everything that they do, including their livelihoods on their land. And it's, you know, it's it's only the food supply. So, hey, maybe we should pay attention to these kinds of things. We've reported it uh, on Green News Report also about how the shift to earlier spring has uh, Mm -hmm. really thrown in out of whack a lot of plants and animals that depend on very specific, very stable temperatures, you know, for, say, flowering, for peaches and apples and blueberries. All of that is now getting increasingly destabilized. uh, That farmer from Georgia uh, said, uh, quote, every farmer from organic to conventional is experiencing this. Speakers at the rally also called for the Farm Bill to incorporate protections for farm workers who face significantly higher risk of heat-related illness and death than workers in other sectors. The rally ended with a march to Capitol Hill, and as far as I know, none of the climate activists or farmers tried to overthrow the American government once they got there. Uh, In the meantime, some farmers around the nation are actually making money by leasing their property to renewable energy initiatives like wind and solar. But there is an insidious and apparently well-coordinated effort underway to make life very hard for those farmers uh, and for elected officials in rural areas around the country. 
And, well, my guest will be one of the journalists who has been documenting that, which, as I noted, is still sort of under the radar, this this effort, even though it's been going on for years. Uh, that journalist will join us momentarily to explain what's going on, who appears to be behind it. But one more story here quickly before we get there today, since we're always on the lookout for, well, some encouraging news <laughs> in these uh, two frequently grim times of late. The Michigan State Senate approved a bill to repeal the state's so-called right-to-work laws, or as our friend Tom Hartman calls them, right-to-work-for-less laws, in what is uh, being described as a major victory for organized labor in the state. The vote on Tuesday now sets the state uh, to become one of the first to overturn such laws, which allow workers to opt out of union membership and dues payments even while they get to enjoy all of the same hard-fought benefits won for workers by those very same unions. Basically, non-union workers sort of getting a free ride yep. off of the hard work of the unions in negotiating uh, worker protections and higher wages. In a narrow 20 to 17 vote along party lines, naturally, with Democrats taking the side of uh, working people, organized labor and collective bargaining, Republicans voting against all of the above. The Michigan Senate passed the bill to revoke the state's right to work laws, as they are called, uh, sending it now back to the state's House for final approval. The House passed a similar vote last week, got a sign off on the final language. And then Michigan's Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer has said that she will sign this bill. And all of that made possible by state voters last November, who showed up and gave state Democrats a governing trifecta with control of both chambers of the state legislature in Michigan, as well as the governor's mansion. There are now similar right to work for less laws still in 27 U.S. states, mostly in the South and Midwest. The laws have been credited with the dramatic decline in union membership and growing income inequality in the U.S. over the past several decades, as research has shown that union members tend to earn higher wages than their non-union counterparts in similar roles. But those folks out there who are still supporting those so-called right-to-work laws seem to be just fine with uh, non-union folks getting uh, lower wages, fewer benefits than union workers. Uh, the uh, hundreds of uh, union members piled into the Michigan, Michigan Capitol on Tuesday to cheer on this bill. Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, the nation's largest federation, labor federation, tweeted on Tuesday evening after news broke that the bill passed, quote, This is what happens when we elect union members to halls of power. We fight and we win for working people. Now, under gerrymandered, Republican control of state government, uh, Michigan had passed its union uh, crippling law back in 2012. The state has lost roughly 40,000 union members or 2.6 percent of members since then, according to Bureau of Labor Statistics data. Wisconsin, West Virginia and Kentucky have since adopted their own uh, anti-union laws under Republican-controlled state legislatures. It's exceedingly rare, notes the Washington Post, for states to overturn such laws. 
That, according to the Economic Policy Institute, the Washington-based think tank, which said if Governor Whitmer signs this bill into law, as expected, Michigan will be the first state to repeal a right-to-work law in nearly six decades. By the way, Missouri voters, on the other hand, overwhelmingly shot down their own legislature's right-to-work laws back in 2018 on a ballot referendum. Because you can't gerrymander a statewide ballot initiative, as it turns out, like you can gerrymander the legislature. In fact, it was thanks to a statewide ballot initiative adopted by Michigan voters that an independent redistricting commission in the state drew up new, fairer maps for the state that resulted in Democrats taking over both houses of the state legislature last November, and then, of course, the rolling back of anti-union laws in an otherwise very pro-labor state. See how that works? Democracy, some call it. But, of course, if you game democracy, if you gerrymander uh, state legislatures, none of this works. Everything is broken. They're getting around to fixing things in Michigan. Nice to see. Business groups in the state, of course, have opposed repealing the state's anti-union laws, saying that it would remove workers' freedom to decide whether to affiliate with unions and pay union dues. And if there's anything that business groups care about, of course, it's freedom, especially for workers and their freedoms to collectively bargain for better wages and better working conditions. So anyway, there's a bit of encouraging news for you today. And yes, speaking of Michigan and farmers and yes, uh, the climate and the environment, let's take a quick break and we'll be joined by longtime climate journalist Peter Sinclair, who some of you may know from his long running climate denier crock of the week videos on YouTube. I know that uh, we've uh, leaned on them once or twice over the years for our Green News Report. <laughs> Just snarky comments. Uh, Peter has been documenting in a series of videos this well-coordinated and seemingly well-financed attack that really attack that is underway against folks in rural parts of the country um, by, yes, business interests, it seems. Uh, in a number of counties, for example, in his own home state of Michigan against farmers and elected officials who are taking collective action to try at least to add clean, renewable energy through wind and solar projects in their communities. Well, they're trying to anyway. The opposition that they are facing from a well-coordinated, if shady group of folks is, well, Almost exactly what you might expect. That story with Yale Climate Connections' Peter Sinclair is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. I was on the uh, planning commission, chairman of the planning commission. I've been chairman for approximately the last 10 years. 
I turned in my resignation on uh, January 23rd uh, of this year. Um, just the last two years of this turmoil that's gone on with the turbines and the solar and the abuse that we've taken over the last two years, it just uh, has worn thin on me. I don't know how we got to this as a society where we've got just a lynch mob mentality. I know when this thing started, no one came to the planning commissioner, the township boards, and any of the townships that I'm familiar with and said, I've got some concerns about wind, I'd like to talk about them. It just slammed us in the face and taken that lynch mob approach that you better see it my way or else. And it's really, it's really sad. All these big companies, they want green energy. Where's the green energy gonna come from? Somehow we've gotta create green energy in our state or we've got to import it for these companies, or they're, they're going to go to another state where there is green energy. You can't expect a county or a township to make those big decisions and think it's just going to work and leave them to, well, in our case, drown to figure it out. The polls in the state of Michigan show two-thirds of the population is in favor of renewable energy. It's just this very vocal, very militant, anti-groups that don't want it anywhere near them. It's not that easy being green. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That was Jack Jeppesen, the now former chair of the Planning Commission in Douglas Township, a rural community in Mount Calm County, Michigan. Along with Pat Carr, chair of Montcalm County's Board of Commissioners, Ashlyn Newell, a science teacher in Maple Valley Township, and Jed Welder, a now former trustee in Sydney Township, Michigan, all lamenting what has gone on in their rural communities in recent months and years as they have tried to help build out our green, renewable energy future on the ground, where they actually live, in their townships, on their farms. As documented by Yale Climate Connections video journalist Peter Sinclair, many members of the community, while hoping to do the right thing for their state, for their children and their grandchildren, and for the environment itself by signing up to lease out their land to wind and solar projects, seem to have had no idea what came along to hit them in the process. And it seems only to be getting worse in many of these and other communities in the American heartland. As Sinclair explains in one of the many videos that he's produced documenting the mess in just this one county. The clean energy future that most Americans hope for will not be built in New York, San Francisco, Detroit or Chicago. It depends on thousands of vital construction projects cited in thousands of rural communities across the United States. Fossil fuel interests have shrewdly identified these small communities as critical choke points in the energy transition and planned a coordinated campaign of misinformation, fear, and intimidation to stop it. Last year, President Biden and the Democrats in Congress passed landmark legislation called the Inflation Reduction Act. Among its many provisions are billions of dollars in incentives over the next 10 years to expand the nation's supply of renewable energy to both reduce air pollution and combat climate change by transitioning the nation's electric grid away from polluting fossil fuels. Many states, like Michigan, have already begun the transition. The ambitious goal 
uh, will require a massive expansion of wind and solar energy projects around the country, which in turn could also serve to offer a lifeline to rural areas with new revenue for farmers who allow renewable energy projects on their property and new revenue for those rural communities that have seen little economic development in recent years. The effort would also allow farmland to remain rural rather than be taken over by corporate developers and permanently altered. As America needs to deploy clean energy projects, struggling farmers need more diversified income sources. So working with farmers to lease their land for wind and solar projects, even while they farm the same land, well, that seems like a win-win for everyone. But that is not what is unfolding as Sinclair documents in many of these towns across rural America. Sinclair has been reporting on a seemingly well-coordinated surge in anti-clean energy backlash in many of these communities, including direct intimidation and harassment of farmers who allow their properties to be used for renewable energy projects, as well as attacks against elected county and township officials and public commission members for daring to allow any of this to take place. One of the past members, he was at a local gas station pumping gas down the Clifford Lake, and there was a lady pulled up on the other pump. Well, you're that person on the PC and started cursing at him, and she spit on him. And it was very hard to just sit there and let them talk to you and talk down to you, you know, accuse you of things that wasn't true at all. As these people came in and continually said horrible, horrible things and in person on social media trying to take down Terry Anderson's business and say horrible negative comments on his business page. A friend of ours has an orchard and a petting zoo. And they've said, don't patronize him because he's in favor of wind turbines. They tell everybody on Facebook to boycott us. And the crazy thing was, if you went around the county, it was the same dozen or two dozen people that would go to every single township board meeting and try and intimidate. It didn't matter if they lived in the township or not. As noted, the effort seems to be coordinated with the same people traveling around to different township meetings all over the region. That coordination was a common thread among those that Sinclair interviewed in Montcalm County, Michigan. You saw the same people going to all these meetings all the time. Same people. It was predictable. They're yelling and, and saying horrible things to people and how horrible our township officials are. There'd be probably 40, 50 people there, uh, a lot of them from different townships, different counties. They were uh, truly anti-wind to the point of being it controlled their life. These um, either national groups or state level groups that come in and help these advocates organize and they have a template and all the signs look the same, all the signs that they put up on the roadside and all the websites look the same and they're the same stock photos of a wind turbine on fire that have been used hundreds and hundreds of times over. They're the same debunked theories and debunked studies from years ago. If you look at the things that are being presented on our community, you'll see those same exact tactics, whether it's in Ohio or Indiana or wherever you're talking about. Same exact information being shared Facebook to Facebook, same stuff being shared at township meetings. They come in and they tell these groups that they have to overwhelm the townships with emotion and flash mobs and near riots and yelling and screaming and intimidating local elected officials. 
intimidating farmers, intimidating anyone who stands up for property rights and stands up for what we believe might be the future. And, and they would come, they would disturb the meeting. I mean, literally, they would be pounding on the, on the floor or on the cabinets that are next to them just to make noise. The use of Facebook is just unbelievable. They don't allow anyone that has a dissenting voice on those. They'll ban people. They make it a closed group. It's an echo chamber for these people to share all their crazy ideas and get riled up and then go try and overwhelm local organizations. When we had our meetings, we'd have 30 or 40 people there. Well, obviously 10 to 12 maybe before it got all done, maybe a few more than that ended up being from our township, but we'd have 40 or 50 people. It was standing room only in our township hall. There'd be probably 40, 50 people there, uh, a lot of them from different townships, different counties. Not anybody that would be voting in our community, but they wanted to put butts in seats, and that's what the narrative was supposed to be, is all these people don't want them. When it's standing room only in a board meeting um, for a township that traditionally has only a few people in the seats, and they're screaming and yelling, and anyone that speaks in favor of uh, renewable energy gets called a greedy farmer and a corrupt politician, and they're banging on the windows. The other people won't come to the meetings if they think they're going to get attacked. You know, we had to be there because we're the board. But somebody that maybe has signed for a wind turbine or, or wind or solar aren't going to come because they don't want to be blasted like we were. And yes, it is not only happening in Montcalm County, Michigan, not by a long shot, nor is it only happening in Michigan. That The signs of a coordinated campaign to spread misinformation and disinformation on renewable energy caught the attention of local news outlet KCRG-TV in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. An investigative team found people using misinformation and disinformation while debating solar farms in Lynn County. Yeah, it's a trend that experts are seeing across the country. We've seen it in our newsroom. Experts say that misinformation clouds legitimate debates and concerns, and it's especially a problem for local issues. Peter Sinclair's interviews with multiple farmers are incisive, eye-opening, and moving at times. And the voices you've heard there uh, are just a small sampling of the excellent reporting that he has done on the impacts of these coordinated disinformation and chaos campaigns. We will link, of course, to more of his uh, videos from this series when we post today's show tonight at bradblog.com. So who are the groups behind the anger and the disinformation campaigns? Who is coordinating this effort and what are they actually hoping to accomplish and why? Joining us for Insight today is Peter Sinclair, who has created hundreds of educational videos over the years debunking climate science misinformation and disinformation for the This Is Not Cool series at Yale Climate Connections and for his long-running independent series climate denial crock of the week peter has received a 2017 friend of the planet award from the national center for science education and also serves as media director of the dark snow project an ongoing research project in greenland studying melting ice and its impact on global weather and sea level rise peter sinclair delighted to have you on the broadcast today we are as you know longtime fans sir 
Oh, it's a great honor to be here. Thanks so much. So uh, before we get to some of those comments from those farmers and, and others in that rural community, uh, the, those rural communities, and, and who's behind these chaos campaigns, you uh, you attended some of these township meetings uh, yourself in your own area of Michigan, where some of these anti-clean energy folks showed up, uh, as I understand it. What did you personally witness in your own community along these lines? Well, it's it's an interesting story. Um, I had been, as, as you as you outlined, have been really active in educating on uh, climate and energy for mm-hmm. many years, uh, and I was somewhat aware that there were, you know, some of these battles were going on, some mm-hmm. controversies were going on around me. But my attitude was that every community should kind of just make up their own mind, you know, what they wanted to do. But then in 2017, uh, we started having a conversation in my local county, uh, Midland County, Michigan, mm-hmm. where I'm a lifelong resident. Mm-hmm. And so I went down to a township meeting in Ingersoll Township, thinking I'd just sort of listen in and, and kind of see what was going on. And uh, what was immediately apparent when I walked in the room, first of all, I had to park a block away. Huh. Uh, you know, these township meetings usually draw maybe half a dozen people. Right. And this room was packed. Huh. And I walked in, and my first reaction was, who the heck are these people? Uh-huh. You know, because uh, I, I know my community. I mean, I know faces. I know who belongs. And I was just seeing a bunch of strangers. I didn't know who they were, yeah. you know. And there was this palpable aura of just kind of hostility and menace, mm. you know. And uh, got into the meeting and recognized pretty quickly that many of these people had driven from an hour, two hours, three hours away mm. to be at this meeting and kind of just be ugly to this local township board that was trying to make a decision. And I uh, recognized really quickly that there was uh, some leadership there and that this was being professionally organized. And that's when I realized, you know, oh, crap, I guess I'm going to have to get involved here because this is clearly, you know, these local boards are not... They're not equipped to handle it. And this local board at the time was just trying to decide uh, whether to approve a, a plan to bring in, uh, was it uh, wind turbines, a solar yeah, farms? Yeah, this, this was for a wind wind uh-huh. farm. I mean, uh, you know, long story short, we yeah. eventually did get the wind farms. But, Good. But we had kind of a long-running, knock-down, drag-out battle mm. here that was sort of the beginning of an education process for me in this whole uh how this procedure goes and in the course of that i met and formed some alliances with uh not only wind and solar developers but also other people in the community in the wider community who want to see clean energy and and many of them are people who are you know quite on the conservative republican end of the spectrum Mm -hmm. uh for the record, I am not, mm-hmm. uh, but but all of us could kind of see the need to uh, communicate and cut through the misinformation on clean energy and um, and support uh, some of these local boards, many of whom want to do the right thing, 
and they see the advantages, particularly in terms of like tax revenue and and mm-hmm. keeping farmers on land. Yeah, uh, for these projects. There seem to be so many upsides to it that uh, it's astounding. Well, I, you know what? It's not astounding. It's troubling uh, that there is such uh, opposition, that it seems to be so well coordinated. You know, watching these videos and these testimonials from these these folks, these farmers, these members of elected uh, you know county commissions and township boards, it all felt and sounded very familiar, like the town hall meetings from years ago with angry mobs protesting Obamacare, or more recently, the angry school board meetings that we've seen in in recent years with, you know, parents yelling, frankly, falsehoods about COVID measures or uh, various school curricula. So uh, it it seems all to be uh, well organized and familiar. Who is behind this particular effort to attack, uh, you know, these folks who are simply looking to really make a few extra bucks, leasing out a, a corner of their their property for a wind turbine or, or a solar farm? Is it is it the most obvious answer? The fossil fuel industry is is behind this chaos. Well, let me let me go back just a few years, uh, because in like back in the 2000 aughts, uh, I started uh, meeting and interviewing climate scientists. Mm-hmm who at the time uh, were under just concerted attack, Mm -hmm. uh, harassment, intimidation, onerous FOIA requests, uh, you know, just right on down the line. uh, And in talking to them over time, what became clear is that there were some organized lobbying groups or legal groups Mm -hmm. uh, based in usually Washington, D.C., who were typically supported by the fossil fuel interests, who were uh, organizing this harassment. So skip forward a few years, these same groups started organizing educational meetings for local, usually right-wing activists to to, uh, enlist them uh, Uh uh, against the uh, uh, construction of clean energy. And uh, it struck me all the way along that there was a lot of similarities between the attacks that were being conducted on scientists Mm -hmm. and the attacks that I'm seeing now on farmers and local officials. But when I was doing this series of interviews in Montcalm County over the last few months, that fact just, just jumped out in bold relief to me from my recollections of the interviews that I did with like high level, the highest level climate scientists in the country. And now speaking to these farmers and local officials who are being subjected to exactly the same Mm -hmm. tactics. And, and so it, it it just snapped, you know, into uh, clarity that, the playbook that had been developed to uh, to quite successfully, you know, uh, intimidate climate scientists mm-hmm. was just sort of being ported mm. to a different venue, mm-hmm. and um, and we're seeing it now unfold in county after county all across the the Midwest and the heartland. And uh, presumably, this is uh, that same campaign. And, you know, we've had uh, our, our friend as well, uh, Dr. Michael Mann, on this show, who was sure. har- harassed endlessly by these uh, folks. 
through legal measures and so forth. But here they are going sort of town township to township, maybe Facebook page to Facebook page to, uh, I guess, scare and misinform these uh, towns. D- other than scaring the hell out of some of these people, does this tactic actually work, uh, a- as you have observed? Well, too often it works. Um, you know, we've, we've won a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we've lost a few. Lately we're on the sort of... We're sort of feeling like sending off the flying monkeys uh, <laughs> at this point because this campaign is so um, so well oiled mm. uh, that it's just a uh, it's kind of self replicating. You know, people hear that there's going to be a solar or a wind project nearby. They have been primed by twenty, thirty years of. Fox News and talk mm-hmm. radio to be suspicious. They go on to social media. They, you know, type in wind energy or solar energy, and they find just, you know, literally thousands of uh, references to misinformation and disinformation that is constantly being uh, circulated and recirculated out there. And then they very quickly find their way to some of the uh, leadership of some of these groups, and uh, and then they and then they uh, replicate this uh, template, which is typically starts by forming a Facebook group, mm-hmm. uh, making it private, mm-hmm. not allowing any dissension, mm. and sort of hurting a whole lot of people into it, and then kind of just continually bombarding them with uh, a stream of negative. Uh, misinformation and so pretty soon you got people that are terrified mm-hmm. and angry mm-hmm. and feeling aggrieved and then it's just a matter of like pointing them in a direction of you know the nearest local <laughs> planning commission or township board wow. and pulling the trigger I, and and it's as if they you know really believe that somehow they are going to stop the transition toward renewable energy, I guess, one township meeting at a time or something. Uh, Peter Sinclair, you zeroed in on on one figure who pops up in seemingly all of these anti-wind and anti-solar campaigns, according to the folks you spoke to in uh, in in Michigan in Montcalm County. A guy apparently by the name of Kevin Martis. If if you're an anti-wind person, whoever's behind this, you believe everything they say and nothing that anybody else has to say. And anything they say goes and nothing can be said bad about them. But there's someone out there, I think, that a little bit higher up than what our county is uh, coaching these people. So a lot of the stuff that they ask, you ask, where'd you hear that from? Or how do you know that? Or, you know, they're being coached. People you thought had a lot of common sense, whoever the big cheese is, that's who they believe. You, do you have any idea who the big cheese is? Well, well, we heard right from the start that there was Kevin Martis. You had people like Kevin Martis. Kevin Martis. A few names that I've had dropped would be Kevin Martis. Uh, Peter Sinclair, who is Kevin Martis and who is he working for or with? Well, it's interesting. Uh, so I described that first meeting that I went to mm-hmm. uh, here locally in Ingersoll Township and uh, Mr. Martis was there. He had driven up for three hours 
from Lenawee County, which is far south of Michigan, almost to Toledo, mm-hmm. and uh, showed up at this meeting, clearly uh, exerting kind of a leadership uh, position, and then followed up with uh, several meetings locally where he gave his uh, supposedly informational spiel to local groups. And and I did a little bit of research on him. In fact, he, he introduces himself as uh, what he calls a, a senior fellow mm-hmm. at this group called the E&E Legal Institute, mm-hmm. which is a very well-known uh, instigator of misinformation, disinformation, and harassment mm-hmm. uh, against scientists. Uh, it's a group that Michael Mann, for instance, knows very well. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I just wrote a letter to my local newspaper, you know, write a letter to the newspaper, right? Mm -hmm. And just suggesting that perhaps this gentleman, because of his affiliations, might not be a completely even-handed source of information. Right. And and then the remarkable thing was really remarkable. Like, I'm sure you've written a letter to your editor, right? Mm -hmm. And then maybe the response that you expect is, Somebody else will write a letter, and they'll disagree with you, you know, and right. maybe you'll even go back and forth a few times, right. you know? Well, what happened to me is that I got a, a cease and desist letter from a silk-stocking Detroit law firm uh, <laughs> that was not only sent to me, uh, uh, as you mentioned, I have for the last decade been doing a series for uh, uh, the Yale University uh, mm-hmm. School of Environment, they sent a cease and desist to the president of Yale. For, for in, in response to a letter to the editor that you because sent. Because I wrote a letter to the editor <laughs> expressing disagreement. Now, who does that? You know, <laughs> and, and who has a high-level big city law firm on speed dial yeah. to push back on someone who criticizes them in a letter to a local newspaper? I mean, just... Who does that? Well, you know? uh, apparently the E&E Legal Institute, I guess, if Kevin Martis <laughs> is somewhere behind this. Now, he claims that he gets no money from the fossil fuel industry, but everyone that you spoke to cited him as the guy who seems to be running the operation, sort of. Uh, if he is not working for the fossil fuel industry, but he is working for E&E Legal Institute, uh, I guess if that sh- that's who he claims to be working for, who funds E&E Legal Institute, Peter? Well, uh, I don't think, I'm not aware of anybody that has a complete list of Mm -hmm. where that funding comes from, but we do have some paperwork from uh, bankruptcy filings from some leading coal companies, Mm -hmm. uh, Arch Coal Mm -hmm. uh, in particular, that shows gifts to the E&E Legal Institute. And just given the background of the people that are involved and their long-term history, a reasonable person could summarize that there's probably more than just Arch Coal that was giving them mm-hmm. uh, money, and, and we're all aware that there's a whole lot of dark, untraceable money yeah. floating around. This kind of activity, and and that's sort of why I, uh, you know, I'm I'm wondering. I, you report and and 
some of these folks talk about, you know, in in discussing wind turbines for crying out loud, there's sort of this uh, religious fervor that has taken over many of these people. It's it's sort of turned into a religious crusade. Uh, They use language against farmers like you're all going to hell or saying things like, oh, when I see a wind turbine, I think of the apocalypse. I mean, is that presumably is that Kevin Martis uh, using Facebook, pulling these strings? How how does that even happen? Is just is this the same pattern we see with other similar campaigns when they were attacking Obamacare years ago when they were, uh, you know, turned out against you know covid vaccines and, and so forth? Is it just that easy to to flip the switch uh, for, for some of these campaigns at this point? Well, you know, we've 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 kind of evolved a generation of people who are attuned to this cultural war kind of mm-hmm. mindset. And uh, some of the earliest anti-wind energy memes uh, that really stood out, one was that said the, it had a picture of wind turbines and it said the production tax credit, uh, Obamacare's worst tax. Mm-hmm. So you're supposed to make a connection between, and this is like 10, 12 years ago, so you're right. supposed to make a connection between Obamacare, which you're supposed to hate, right, uh, and wind turbines, which then you, uh, I guess, are supposed to make a connection, has something to do with Obama, <laughs> although, of course, there's no connection whatsoever. Right, right. <laughs> but that connection is continually made. And so one of my favorite uh Mr. Martis follows me uh, closely mm-hmm. on social media. I bet he does. And uh, one of my favorite uh, tweets that he had was, Peter Sinclair doesn't want to just take your energy. He wants to take your guns. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, of course, now they've heard the word guns. They've heard the word Obama. I mean, it's like the Manchurian candidate. Well, they're all ready to go, you know, just hearing <laughs> these uh, keywords. I'm, I'm sure uh, Kevin Martis is probably listening right now. Hi, Kevin. Uh, we played a... We played a clip, uh, Peter, uh, from uh, KCRG-TV in, in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, during the uh, intro there, uh, seemingly right. observing the same phenomenon happening there. Is is this campaign, which does seem to be not only well-coordinated but widespread, is it receiving the attention that it should uh, be receiving, either from local media or perhaps more critically from national media, as you've, as you've seen? It's starting to get some attention. Uh but one of the reasons I did this series of interviews is that most of the reporting I had seen on it was really naive and kind of like, uh, gee, uh, how about that? You know, farmers don't want clean energy, you know, <laughs> or uh, mm-hmm. just kind of totally missing this whole dynamic mm-hmm. of the... Uh, the harassment, the intimidation, and the the flash mobs uh, kind of thing, as if it was just sort of like, oh, good faith people asking reasonable questions, you know, about yeah. a, a change in their community, and and I just felt I, I had to I had to, you know, push back on that because mm-hmm. it's it's just not right, you know. No, it's. And, uh, it's, it's not. And we need more people to explain what is actually going on here, more digging as far as who is pulling these strings, where this money is coming from. We know that, you know, it's not uh, not cheap to go, to, you know, to work sort of township by township by township. 
after years of the uh, you know fossil fuel uh, companies lying about climate change, saying one thing publicly, putting in all of this money to these anti-campaigns, which I believe we are seeing reflected here, Peter, that you have, uh, you know, th- that you are uh, laying out for us. We need local media and national media to explain to the American people what is actually going on, because we are at no more crucial time, uh, you know, right now than, than ever trying to transition to renewable energy. Peter, finally, I, I was struck by some of the folks that you spoke with in Montcalm who, who seemed to suggest that, you know, they were doing their best. They were trying to answer the call that they had heard, you know, for for green energy from the state, from uh, state officials. But they also felt like they were doing this alone without the help of the uh, state that they needed in taking on these anti-interests that had just overwhelmed them. Here was uh, just one of the comments on this. You know, you get these big companies like Meyer, Ford, Walmart, all these big companies, they want green energy. Where's the green energy gonna come from? Somehow we've gotta create green energy in our state or we've gotta import it for these companies or they're, they're gonna to go to another state where there is green energy. Now, a lot of states, uh, frankly, run by both Democrats and Republicans in many cases, are calling for green energy and allowing these programs. But are uh, state officials adequately helping these folks on the ground, particularly these rural communities, to navigate these battles like in uh, Montcalm County? Or are they being pretty much left to fend for themselves? Well, it's, it's kind of an artifact that we have a patchwork of uh, local governments, and you have you know, the, the smallest is the township level, and mm-hmm. then you've got the county level and, and the state level. And where, where there has been most success so far uh, is like nearby counties like Isabella and Gratiot County uh, next door to me, where they've had, like, county-level decision-making, which is a little bit, you know, uh, it's, it's harder to intimidate a county board uh, that has, you know, ready access to legal counsel mm-hmm. and, you know, all that, all that kind of support and can, can afford, like, engineers and, and things like that to uh, help them answer questions. And there's a, a, a kind of a built-in bias towards local control. You know, the, the township officials historically mm-hmm. have been very reluctant to cede any kind of, uh, mm-hmm. of their control to a higher level, whether it be the county or the state. Mm-hmm. And uh, But we've never seen a situation where somebody has so, with such laser focus, set out to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And by being able to organize through social media pressure campaigns focusing on these small local bodies uh, that don't have a lot of resources or backup and then go ahead and intimidate them into uh, basically doing, you know, whatever they want them to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there's an increased call uh, for more uh, support at state level. And, uh, for instance, Illinois just passed a law that attempts to place what I would call guardrails on this process Mm -hmm. because it's technically it's illegal for a a township to pass an ordinance that forbids a farmer or a landowner from 
conducting illegal business activities, solar or wind, on uh-huh. their land. It's yeah. technically illegal, but these laws, at least in Michigan, don't have any teeth unless one of the aggrieved parties decides to sue. Right. And, and so far, up until very recently, the developers have, you know, rather than get into a protracted legal battle, they'll just go on to, you know, find lower-hanging fruit somewhere else, you know. Uh, that's starting to change. And uh, so townships are starting to get sued, and um, they're getting freaked out about that. I believe many of them are starting to talk to their legislators about it. And we're starting to get a, a quite a bit of momentum mm. on the state level for some kind of uh, reform in this area. Mm-hmm. Good. And uh, in addition, there's also a whole lot of people who have not been part of this process, who have not been aware of this process, people who don't live in rural areas, uh, who just assumed everything was kind of going along swimmingly, you know, and suddenly they're becoming aware of it, and they want to help out, too. How can, uh, i got to get out here, Peter, I'm running late already, but how can folks help? How can our listeners uh, help in this battle? Well, they can, uh, if, if they have a, a township or a local uh, board or, or planning commission where, that is considering a clean energy proce- process, they mm-hmm. should consider showing up. They should consider writing a letter or making a call to one of those board members. Uh, write a letter to the editor, uh, let people know in the community that you are in favor of this happening, and even consider coming out to a meeting mm-hmm. and standing up. They'll give you three minutes to talk. Mm-hmm. Being aware that you, you may be going into a community that's very conservative, where climate change is not uh, a winning issue necessarily, although that's starting to change. Mm-hmm. But just to talk about the the advantages to the community, to schools, to fire rescue, to sheriff patrols, you know, mm-hmm. to uh, to the local farmers, keeping those farmers on the land as, as hedges against suburban sprawl. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many advantages and so many good things to say about clean energy that it shouldn't be uh, it shouldn't be difficult. And you can you can also follow me on Twitter yep. at Peter W Sinclair. Uh, where I'm covering this on a fairly consistent basis. Yep. Well, and, uh, don't be afraid to reach out. Uh, Peter Sinclair is a video journalist, a climate communicator, as he notes. He's uh, on Twitter at Peter W. Sinclair. You can also find his uh, work as producer of This Is Not Cool for the Yale Climate Connections at YaleClimateConnections.org. And, of course, uh, the old original classic, Climate Denial Croc of the Week, which you can find at ClimateCrocs.com. Thank you for helping to get the word out about all of this. We'll continue to follow it. Hope to talk to you again soon on the broadcast, sir. You bet. Thank you so much. You know, the... It's interesting because when it's a national issue, it's occurring to me as I'm talking to Peter, when it's a national issue like uh, Obamacare right. or COVID, yeah. you know, you've got uh, a lot of the national media, they go to these town meetings and they get the angry people yelling and screaming about it. But yep. for years now, this uh, this this attempt to, uh, you know, move green energy into local communities, farming communities and the organized 
attack against it has sort of flown under the radar so I'm re- for the national media so I'm glad that Peter Sinclair is out there trying to document it trying to bring it to folks attention yeah it's it's insidious I think and very very sneaky and um, it's, and it's the same exact thing I mean it's the same yes. campaign the same playbook that they use for all of those other things but when it comes to green energy it just does not get the kind of coverage that it should I know and and so we're hoping to change that and of course you know people can and also reach out and check in their local area to find out what's happening mm. with their local townships, their local city councils, their local uh, local governance, because these are questions that are being covered in areas all across the country. Yeah. So, um, And it does also, I think, show how, how much local elections really do matter, because these are the people that are making these decisions. So, you know, and you can also get... Not all- only making these decisions, but these are the people who are facing... You know, this fire, as as you heard in some of those clips, you know, these these local uh, township board uh, county commissioners who just did not sign up for this. Yeah. Like you had mentioned, the school boards that were getting these uh, mob like mentality yes. from yep. people who were objecting to covid mm-hmm. you know, requirements and covid responses. Yep. And and it does show that, you know, when the good people don't show up to defend these common sense ideas that the bad folks will show up and they'll. They'll make sure that these things don't happen. So um, I just want to point out, though, that that Peter's site, climatecrocs.com, is an excellent source of the latest environmental and clean energy stories and articles and developments, I mean, and analysis on there. So um, I get his email digest mm. every day, and mm-hmm. it's it's great. He does a great job of sort of giving you this broad this broad overview of what's going on. So I really find it very helpful at climatecrocs.com. There you go. Thank you very much, <laughs> Desi Doyen, our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or you want to share it with someone you love or hate, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. We have no paywall at all because we rely on folks like you to hit one of those donate buttons once you're there or just go straight to bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the Twitters and the Mastodons, you'll find me simply at the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com/donate.